Welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafter, and today I'll be chatting with Megumi Collins, co-founder and CEO of Pay24. Pay24 is a fintech startup in Uganda that aims to bring millions of young millennials who are denied credit by conventional banks and financial institutions into the formal credit system by leveraging technology that allows users to borrow against their mobile devices. This technology provides a fair and cheap alternative for users to access credit instantly with no hustle. Collins, how are you doing? Very good, very good. Thank you. How are you doing yourself? Good, thank you. Um, I'm really eager to jump right in. You're about your career to date and ultimately what led you to build Pay24. All right, awesome. So I come from a tech background. Um, from way back, I've, I've had a lot of passion for, you know, for technology, for um, the internet and things like that from the first time my old woman got a, got a computer a couple of very many years ago. So yeah, my first degree was IT and um, eventually I worked in the IT space for about four years and then got interested into the whole startup space, trying to, you know, start build something for myself. And you know how it is with startups, you build something and you're literally everyone, you're, you're the sales guy you're the you know you're the product guy <laughs> yes you're the ceo you're the marketing guy so i had to interface with a lot of people to try and you know sell my ideas and sell the products or whatever i'd yeah. come up with at a time and in the process i actually built i developed an interest for marketing for marketing and sales so over time, I gradually uh, sort of like drifted into the market, the sales and marketing uh, side of things. So I, you know, sort of like uh, got into uh, highly interested in digital marketing. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. so eventually did an MBA um, a couple of years ago, about three years ago, and then fully got into marketing where I worked with a marketing agency as a head of digital for about a year, then I got into media as a uh, for international media company as head of marketing and digital. Then went into worked with another media company again as marketing and PR. So eventually, got fully swallowed into the whole marketing side of things. But obviously, my love yeah. for startups and building things has never gone away. Yeah, so I've looked. I sort of infused um, the love for technology, for programming, for uh, marketing and startups together into what I'm doing right now. That's fantastic. You come from a marketing background. What are your thoughts on marketing efforts being looked at last when building a fintech? You have a love for marketing and startups. What's your opinion on this? Um, so, yeah, um, I believe, I believe uh, marketing is something that you need to do from the word go. I mean, from the time you get your idea. And that's the thing. The funny thing is that we're always marketing, but we never really see it that way. Yeah. From the time you come up with the idea to the point where you get your first partner, your co-founder or your first people on board, you're literally marketing that idea to them. You're marketing and selling that idea to them to get them on board. And the thing then we forget is that then we focus on building uh, whatever this idea is and then think about marketing less and I, I, from where I stand I believe you need to concurrently do the same as you're building this thing you need to market it to see what the you know the 
customer, your target customer's response is, mm. if you're really in the right direction or not. And um, this is something that we've done very well um, with uh, Pay24. Unfortunately, trying to do it this way, it sort of like we increases your development time because you're yeah because yeah, you're literally you're not you don't sit down and you know like build build your product from a to z um you know according to your plans you're literally putting a b c and then you see okay what does the market feel about a b c then you go on to the next step and you know get some feedback get early customers get early adopters see what their you know their response is then you change accordingly and that sort of helps by the end of the day when you're done with your product you sort of have a well-structured, out-tested, fully-tested product compared to, you know, yeah. building the whole thing and then putting it out there and then you find all these loopholes and then you have to adjust, go back and adjust. Yeah, so that is the sort of how we've adapted in terms of building and putting together the products that I've been involved in. Yeah. There are many elements of marketing from pricing, positioning, deciding on your target audience, your PR side, branding. When should you start brainstorming this strategy? Should you wait until you're about to launch? What does the ideal timeline look like? Um, I'm going to use um, a case study of Pay24, what we've done um, over the years, because we've been building Pay24 for quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. um, so... Like what we did from the word go is um, just like any other startup. We we put together a logo, a simple logo that was done uh, on my computer. Um, so that was like for us to get started, to have some sort of identity. So we built our first, uh, what we call the demo product, um, the MVP. So we did that. Um, we launched it into a closed beta uh, that was uh, last year, about February last year through the whole COVID time. So what we did is then we pushed it out with a couple of products. Um, Our total portfolio in terms of uh, product lines or services under the the platform, about five different products, that is uh, micro lending, uh, remittances, bill payments, um, uh, Forex exchange, um, and a couple of others that we tried to add up together. So what we did is we'd roll out a, a future at the time and then we test it push it to a number of customers and see what their views are. You know, what do they think? What do they think of that? And, and like you said, we were testing this stuff from the word go. Things like logos, things like yeah. messaging, things like uh, the colors. Mm. We changed the colors a couple, a couple of times, you know, try and get, you know, what do you wow. think? Yeah, How does this look? Is, the, is this blue good enough? Is this green or light green that we're using? Is it appealing enough? So, Honestly, I don't think you should sit back and wait until the product is fully ready for you to be able to worry about, you know, your look and feel um, what the market is going to think about your product. I feel like you need to work at, on all these things from the word go because things change, man. If you look at, um, take yeah. an example of, um, so Facebook, do you, do you remember the first logo of Facebook? Oh, man, that was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you start somewhere and it's exactly the same thing that we do. What, yeah. what most people, the mistake most people do is that they want to make things perfect before they put it out to the public and it can never be perfect enough. I mean, even now, the days I look at our own logo, which we've spent quite a lot of money on to, you know, our own look and feel mm. and I feel like, man, we can, you know, we can change a bit. We can make it a bit better. And yeah. It changes every day. So I feel like you need to start from the word go as you're putting everything together. 
you sort of like you you know need to worry about the tone that you're going to use the colors that you're going to use the the logo how the logos are going to be how the icons are going to be as you're putting all the functionality together think about your you know your uh, brand and comms your look and feel and your tone of voice for the product i feel like that's it's very important i would do do it from the word go really i wouldn't sit back and wait for when everything is ready yeah in yeah in 2020 you had a beta launch for pay 24 um you've you've spoken briefly about changing logos the marketing elements you discovered what the market accepted made changes and then you went commercial what other changes did you make and what did you learn from the beta launch besides the marketing elements okay so um 2020 was a very interesting year so many lessons uh so many mistakes as well from our side <laughs> uh so what happened is um so yeah we went pub we went with a closed beta in february last year um so what we did is then we opened up the the platform to the whole of africa or pretty much the whole world really we didn't we didn't limit any countries as much as uganda was a pilot our pilot market yeah so what happened is then um yeah we the, we we got um what do I call it? Like we, we got the assurance that the product was, there was interest in the product because the number of customers that were getting onto the platform, it was insane. The numbers were crazy, like yeah. numbers that we didn't see coming. I, I mean, I'm talking about, wow. yeah, I'm talking about we, in six months, we had grown by over 50,000 users without any sort of marketing, wow. without any sort of communication. So it was insane. It, it was, it was insane. It, honestly, it was, um, so yeah, we got a lot of feedback in terms of what people thought, what was failing, what was not working. Um, we made changes, but then also, obviously, like any tech, new tech product or any MVP, the technology failed. All right. So originally, we had built we had built uh, a native Android app um, named Java and everything. And it failed. So, like the transaction, the transaction times were insane. It was breaking, and we literally had mm. to go back on the drawing table and rebuild. So, in March, so in August last year, we went back to the drawing board and rebuilt the whole platform. During that phase, do you pull the product from market, or, or what do you do at that at that time? We we actually we literally pulled it off. We because what happened is okay. we we had a lot of we're getting a lot of uh, bad feedback in terms of customers who are not able to get the services running. So we literally had to put yeah. out our communication. And what was unfortunate on our side is that we really we had got a lot of attention. Like this stuff would have been easier if the number of people that were, you know, like the early adopters on the on the platform were few, then you'd easily, you know, mm. send them out communication and tell them Manage guys, that, yeah. yeah, like this is what's happening. We're rebuilding, we are making it better, we're doing all this. But we didn't have that opportunity. So what happened is like um every day that we left the old platform there, we were getting over 300, 500 signups registrations every day. So like literally, um the communication for guys it's broken we know we're fixing it it's sort of like it's sort of like became a yeah. daily song to a lot of a lot of people and some people would not even be patient enough to read you know to wait for that communication so they would the backlash was getting yeah. big yeah so what we figured at the point we said you know what let's manage the customers that we already have onto the platform keep them in the loop but then let's pull it uh the availability of, of the app from from play store so we you know uh, unpublished it 
for some time and then we worked off the clock like long nights sleepless nights to try and turn the new version around in such a short time what was that turnover time um so we actively went into we pulled we pulled the old version of play store in september and in december late december Ali Jan is now when we put back the Ali the the new version to sort of like also get feedback okay. now from uh, from the different different okay. users. You know, I think about the the weird thing about Android is the different versions that are there and the different phone models that are there. It's insane. Like yeah. even if you have a yeah. huge. Uh, budget for testing you'll find that you're not able to test 20 percent 30 percent of the different devices and then you'll find there's this model that is breaking you know the icons are not showing right or something like that so yeah we yeah. That, that that is what we, so we went uh, we put it up to the public um early jan and then we had a lot of drama in uganda with the elections where there was internet shutdown and then there was social media blocking and it was a it was a horrible horrible time in Uganda. January and February, bad times for for tech startups in this in, in Uganda. It was bad. Yeah, so that time sort of slowed us down, and then towards end of Feb, early March is then when things stabilized, and then we started getting you know like proper flow of you know paying customers. Do you think that you launched too early? Yeah. Um. I mean, uh, I. I'm one of those people who don't believe in, um, I don't regret my decisions or my actions. I try and learn and pick lessons from them. Um, did we launch Ali? Um, I would say yes. All right. But were there okay. positive lessons? Yes. Because I can tell you, I was happy seeing, um, you know, like this, I don't even, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but yeah, every bad comment or review that I got from the customer was actually motivation for us to fix it. You know, it's yeah. it wasn't it wasn't an issue of one or two people saying, "Guys, this is not working." Then you're like, "Okay, yeah, we'll we'll get around that. We'll get around that." It was ten people, <laughs> twenty people yeah. saying, "Guys, this is broken," and then you're like, "Yo, twenty people are complaining, guys. Let's <laughs> fix this." Yeah, yeah. So it's it's sort of it worked both ways. The thing is, at the end of the day, is the thing I know about users. Yes. Um, bad experiences can sort of throw away people for good. But if you're providing a top quality or a good, a valuable service, bad experience in terms of, you know, tech or delayed services can always bring people back as long as you're giving them value. And that's what I believe. So what we've done is like at the end of the day is to ensure that, you know, the pro the services that we're providing, we provide top level services that even if you get a bad experience today, you're able to say, guys, it was a bad day for them, but I know they're good for their word. If you built a new product and had another beta launch, what would you do differently? Would you prepare differently or would you do it exactly the same? Um, I think I'd well, I would, <laughs> this time around, I'll try and make sure that before I would, I would, I wouldn't get into the beta launch expecting a little number of people, like the mistake that we did. I would prepare, okay. I would prepare for a possible, um, you know, huge number of people actually testing the platform without me take the, actively inviting them. So that, that is one mistake that we did. We, we built we built the beta version thinking, you know, we're just going to get a handful of customers. You know, we're just going to get a handful of customers, a couple of hundreds here and there. And we got 50,000, 60,000. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Is there a disclaimer? So when users are working with the product, is there a disclaimer that comes up telling them, listen, this is in beta? We, 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 we did that. We did that. Um, you know, we would let you know, um, expect glitches here and there. We appreciate you okay. having faith in us and trying to try this. Please give us all the feedback that you can. And we, we appreciate your efforts. Yeah, we did that. Fantastic. So this isn't the first product you've launched or worked on. You've co-found multiple businesses and faced challenges with co-founders. Do you have any advice for those currently looking for a co-founder? What would you say to them? Um, yeah, you're right. This is not this is not the first um, startup or platform or product that I've I've, I've uh, started up. I mean, my very first was a tech magazine. Very many years ago, when I was still a very young man, trying to figure out things out, then did an e-commerce platform. Um, so, yeah, co-founder challenges, these are there. Um, this is something I've told a couple of my friends, and um, I've also told um, my co-founder, David, over time, is um, building a business is almost like building a marriage for people who are married or people who are in relationships. This, this is not about, I love this. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you, you will fight for sure. You will fight. There's no two ways around that because you're two different people. But at the end of the day, you need to remember what the bigger goal is and try and align accordingly. Um, People fight or people disagree because they have not understood your view of things or you've not sold them on what you're trying to do. So at the end of the day, it's about, you know, managing your egos, um, trying to be as patient as possible with the other person and, you know, make sure that you're on the same page and look at the bigger picture. One of the first, um, I think, two, the second last startup that we did um it was a great product in 2012. It was a great product. We built the first remittance platform in the region. All we're doing, um, credit debit card or credit card to mobile money and that was it was a new platform with huge potential in the space first remittance platform in the region before all these big players came in the space and we we had co-founder challenges. We we fought. We disagreed. But you know, we were young and we had egos, and we wouldn't listen. You know, like wouldn't sit on the table yeah. and sort of like understand what the challenges were and try to figure it out. We all had this. You know, if you don't listen to me, then don't listen to me. I'll go and find find a way of doing <laughs> it. And I tell you, it's a huge mistake that most young founders or most people who are getting started in this whole working with other people face. It's, yeah. So you need a lot of patience. You need to manage your egos. You need to listen and just understand if the person is not sold, is, if it's not on the same page with you, it's because you haven't convinced them or sold them enough for them to understand why you are making that decision or why you're proposing to go that direction. Using your analogy of marriage, you have premarital counseling. What would that look like before tying the knot with a co-founder? Yeah, um, um, so you sort of like need to um, one. Uh, what was there's, there's something there's something David um, told me one time. He's like you. He's like man, we we have become too close for co-founders. It's like. You know, we, 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 we're not like just business partners anymore. We're like friends. What's going on there? I told him, dude, I said, 
I spend more time with you more than I spend time with anyone in my life. So if I am not comfortable <laughs> with you, for us to be able to have a beer whenever we want to, for us to be able to, you know, sit and talk about all sorts of things, then there's a problem. I mean, at the end of the day, it's um, you want your co-founder to be a guy that will understand because will understand when you have challenges, a guy that will be able to uh, mm. pass on the lady or whatever, or will be able to stick with you when things are not well, to so understand the challenges that you're going through because we have personal challenges in our life and you really want to make your co-founder your friend. Because if your co-founder is not your yeah. friend, then they will not be able to understand if you have personal challenges in your life and they're affecting your delivery or how fast you're able to sure. execute a couple of things, then you'll have challenges. You'll have issues in your personal life. You'll have issues in your business. So at the end of the day, I feel like it's an important thing to do. It's not a must that you must be friends, but it is important that you're actually friends. So yeah, I would pretty much look at a co-founder, making the co-founder uh, a friend or person that can I can spend time with before I fully get into business with them. Talking about having the same vision as your co-founder, you at Pay24 have a vision to build a neobank that comes along with a five-year plan. How do you build a five-year plan when something like fintech is changing so rapidly? How do you stay agile? Yeah, so that is interesting. So when we started out, when we started out, um, we were doing um, all these financials, three-year projections, um, one-year projections. And then we realized, and again, sadly, this is something that as you're trying to raise capital, which is a very big thing, is you're going to be asked for these numbers. You're going to be asked for projections. Yeah. What are you looking at? What is the future looking like? The funny bit is that, all that stuff at the end of the day tends to be useless. I'll be honest. Yes, it gives you an idea <laughs> exactly. in the sense in the it gives you an idea in the sense that you know you're building a multi-million or billion company. Yes, but at the end of the day, all that stuff is just you. It's nothing unless you're able to execute on a day-to-day -day basis. So what we do is yes, we do have five-year five-year plans. We do have annual plans, two-year plans. But at the end of the day, we keep. We keep our eye on what is next week looking like. What is this end of this month looking like? What are we doing tomorrow for us to be able to drive these numbers so that it drives the day after, so that we're able to, you know, close the week, close the month uh, at a number that is able to, you know, reflect in terms of the projections that we're looking at. So yeah, our our biggest biggest task, and this is something that takes a lot of time for me and and um, and my partner, is that we are always reviewing the numbers and making adjustments. So you find that our five year plan, what it looks like in terms of the numbers or projections, where it looks like where it looked like yesterday, but one or last week, is not exactly what it's going to look like today. If we're projecting to have a a profitability of say uh, $4 million in, in three years, you'll find today it has already changed to 5.2 or it has changed to 5.1. Yeah. So yeah, those numbers change quite a lot. And we're always trying to make sure that we don't go below what we've project, what we initially projected. We just keep it growing. How often do you look at your goals and look at your current numbers and adjust them? Every day, every day, every day, every, mo every day, every, every, every morning. What I do is I have this big Excel sheet that has all these automated formulas and multiple sheets. So every day I'm literally looking at yesterday. How many downloads did we get? What were the conversion? How many of those actually transacted? Okay. 
what does this mean for us? What does this look like? Are we able to move this? Is are we are we hitting our fifteen percent conversion in terms of new users transacting customers? If not, then okay, we need to adjust. What's the problem? So yeah, it's an everyday process for me, and I really thank God that we're able to get that. It's it's a massive document. Our financial model. It's a massive document that has made this whole you know daily tracking such an easy process. Because if it was, if it was, if I was doing it manually, I'm very sure I would not be doing it on a daily basis. Yeah. Got you, got you. And something that I discovered is that Pay24 has a very low default rate. How were you able to achieve this? Yeah. So, um, in the space that we're in, the micro lending space um, or digital, digital, digital loans space, the challenge that is there is it comes down to the security. How are you able to secure your money, or how are you able to protect, um, to, to reduce your risk? All right. So, one of the things that happens is you know most people will use the credit scoring based on you know um, different financial institutions, or they'll use your social capital. How many people do you know? What do you? What are your numbers on social media? But what what comes with that at the end of the day is that um, you 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 because the risk is high, you're not exactly mitigating your risk. Your interest is equally higher. Right. So when you are giving someone money, yes, they need the money. You don't need to make the money very expensive because if you make it very expensive, then you're not helping them and they will not get out of the situation they're in. And if they're not able to get out of the situation they're in, if the money is expensive, then they will definitely, definitely have trouble paying it back. So what we've done. Yeah. What we've done as Pay24 is we've tried to mitigate our risk as as much as possible. We yeah, we're able to use um, a customer's you know already owned asset as collateral for the loan, and then keep the loan interest as low as possible, which makes it easy to pay. So we we implemented a, a phone lock feature in the in 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 uh, in the app where you're able to you know use your device as security for the money that you borrow. Um, then when you don't pay back, you know the only inconvenience that you get is for that device that you used as collateral. And I mean, it sort of like, you know, nudges you or pushes you into actually paying. And we keep our loans very, very small. So it's little money that is functional, you know, get, get that, get that $30, get that $50 that you need to take care of your electricity bill, you know, to pay, to buy your fuel, to go to your next meeting or close your next contract for you to be able to be functional. And that is something that we've done in the app, you know, we don't just give you money and end there. We give you money and give you ways that you can use your money. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? Awesome. So, um, personally, I'm on literally on every social media platform, not every, but most of the major social media platform. So, I use uh, username Simugume, that is C M U G U M E, on Twitter, um, CollinsMugume.com, that's my personal website. Um, um, also, I do once in a while create content on YouTube, which I respond to messages there as well, comments as well. Um, on Facebook as well as Collins Bugume, I'm able to respond to messages there. So yeah, if you just Google Collins Bugume or Bugume Collins, I'm pretty sure among the first people that come up and I do respond to any queries that come through. Fantastic. Thanks, Collins. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.